we're talking about going the extra mile. We're talking about eye for an eye. I want to go into Matthew chapter 5 and read this section of Scripture. We've heard it many, many times. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. In America, which I love, I love this country, we are obsessed with our rights. We love our rights, and well, we should. We live in a free country. It's awesome. We have the uh, right to gather and assemble and worship God freely, which is amazing. It's awesome. But we're obsessed with our rights. We don't want anyone messing with any of our rights. We just want to be left alone, right? And so if someone treads on our rights, we get upset and we retaliate whether verbally or physically or whatever. And I remember when I was a kid, well, not a kid. I, well, yeah, kid, I guess. I, it was a long time ago. Uh, no, it wasn't a long time ago. It was just uh, five years ago. I was 20. Um, <laughs> and uh, they had this thing called Eye for an Eye Week. Why don't you go ahead and put that graphic up there real quick? Yeah, okay. <laughs> and it was channel 13 or, eight or 9 or 5, one of the lame channels, you know the ones where they have all the lame movies on? So it was one of those, and every day was, another, was an eye for an eye movie. So it was either Chuck Norris or Charles Bronson or, um, you know, I don't know, who's the guy that, that is really a bad actor? Oh, Charles Bronson, Chuck Norris. Uh, yeah, Steven Seagal. That was it. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, gosh. So bad. But each, each, each day you could watch a movie about something horrible happening to someone, but they, they, they get it in the end, right? It's awesome. Eye for an eye week. And this to me uh, is, I mean, he's got the guns and the shirt. Why, why you have to have your shirt unbuttoned all the way to your belt, I don't know. But maybe it's for ventilation because you're getting, you get hot when the guns are going off. I don't know. But, uh, but it's okay because he's got the American flag behind him. So that's all right. Go ahead. You can get out of there. The women are just like, that's what I'm talking about. Okay. That is not, that's, there, we'll have time for communion. You can confess all those things. But we're really self-centered. We don't want anything affecting our rights. And if you watch any of the political <laughs> campaign, it's like a soap opera. But you'll hear again and again, no matter which side of the aisle you're on, we have, right, we have these certain rights, and they're going to make sure. That if you elect the right person, you, that you'll have the best chance of living the life that uh, you were meant to live. Don't mess with people's rights. But Paul says something different, and he, he kind of reiterates what Jesus is talking about, and we'll get into what Jesus was saying in a second. But Paul says this, in Romans chapter 14, he says, verse 7, For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Now, for weeks and weeks and weeks, ever since we started Matthew, from the very, very beginning, we've been talking about two kingdoms, the kingdom on earth and the kingdom of heaven, okay? Those two kingdoms. And depending on where your focus is will depend on your rela- uh, how deep your relationship with God goes. If our focus is totally on our rights down here on earth, if we try to protect them. Again, I'm not, I'm not talking politically. I'm just talking about our own personal rights of being left alone, doing what we want, be, not have everything going our way. If we have our focus down here the entire time, we are going to miss all the richness that God has for the kingdom of God. He says, you don't live to yourself. You don't die to yourself. Everything you do is for the Lord. And you say, but man, not everything I do is for the Lord. This is the vision Jesus wants us to catch in this section of Scripture. That there's something greater than just operating on this level all our lives, never wanting to be bothered, never wanting anything to go wrong. 
people are really good at two things. You th- say, Pastor John, I'm not good at anything. Oh, yes, you are. You are very, very good at two things. Professional, as a matter of fact. And if you could find a way to make money doing this, which some have, you're going to make millions. First, they overstate what's been done to them. People are professionals at overstating what's been done to them. Now, a lot of you out there have had horrible things done to you, and I'm not trying to uh, minimize those things, okay? There are some things that really are really bad. But no matter what it is, we're professionals at overstating it. I'll give you an example. Secondly, because my example will include both of these, people are really good at underestimating the pain they inflict on others. You overestimate what's been done to you, and you underestimate what you've done to other people. Why? Because you know your own motives, or you didn't mean to do that, or whatever. And you can see what a horrible position that puts society in. If I overestimate everything you do to me, and so I respond with what I think is fair, but I underestimate it, then you go, well, that wasn't worth what I did to him. All I did was say this, but he said that. So now I'm going to just, we're going to make it even. Have you ever played that game with the kids where the one punches the one and then the other one punches it to make it even? But it's never as, it's a little harder. So then the other person, well, I'm just going to punch you just to make up the difference. There we go. And it says, bop, 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 bop. You ever do that? Yeah. My brother was seven years older than me. So that usually went about like one punch. Because I, I, he'd punch me, I'd punch him, he'd punch me, game over. I'd wake up like 20 minutes later going, whoa, what happened, you know? So we're really good at overstating what's been done to us and understating what's, been, what's to do to others. Now, I'll give you an example. I happen to be, this is by chance, I'm wearing these pants. And, um, well, actually, it's not by chance that I'm wearing pants. I, 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 I very much meant to wear pants this morning. Okay, so we'll get there. It's by chance that I'm wearing these pants. It was very funny that I was driving to work today with these pants. Because these pants, I don't know, you can't see it, but they've got, it's got little paint splotches on the knee here. Um, and, and down here and here. Okay, so what happened was, sometimes our, our, our property gets tagged, you know, by graffiti uh, artists. And... Um, <laughs> and... I love all human beings because I'm a pastor. Um, (laughs) But there's something that happens inside of me when I see graffiti that uh, is more of an animalistic nature. Uh, I get very, very upset. So we have a thing. uh, It's not that spiritual. So anyway, so so we have this this paint and these disposable Things so that if we get tagged, I can quickly go out and go, you want some of that? Here's some of this. It only lasted five minutes. Did you make you happy, right? Well, I was really mad, and so I'm taking the stuff, and I'm just going over, right? It's like just ticked, going, oh, I, I would, if I could just sit up on the thing with a bow and arrow or something <laughs> and just get them in the hand. Why, anything. And I'm going over, and then I look down, and I realize I'd been going too fast, and I was spraying myself. Well, Whose fault was that? It was my fault. But at the time, it was not my fault. Because I wouldn't be out there if it wasn't for that guy, right? And I'm, I, am, I am sexist when it comes to taggers. They're all men to me, all boys. Well, all, boy, all little baby boys. You want, okay, no. So I never think of like, like girls tagging for some reason. I don't know why. But so, anyway, so I'm soup. Now I'm mad because... Cause, and so I told myself, I'm not going to throw these pants away because it was not my mistake. So now I'm wearing them. What was I doing? I'm, I'm overestimating what they did to me. I'm angry like they burned the church down. I mean, literally, it took me five minutes to cover up the graffiti, and it cost the church probably $3, except for the five minutes, which my time, which cost probably 120 bucks since <laughs> I got paid so much. So I, I, I'm overestimating. I'm, getting, I'm fuming mad. It was like they took one of my children. I just was so upset. Well, they caught the guy, right? And so I get this letter in the mail from the the court. And I'm so excited because he got caught. And all my fantasies are going to come true. 
And so they write in this, this one little section, and it says, what do you think should be done to this person? God, I haven't even finished the story yet. Gosh, my gosh. So I'm like, you mean you can do more than kill him? This is, this is awesome. So I thought, well, maybe he could paint over all the graffiti in Garden Grove and then kill him. No, maybe we could, right? So I, and so when I had to write out, like, what I should do, because it said, it said, write down what it really cost you. And I'm like, oh, well, some pants. I can't explain that. So we'll forget that. And it's like, how much time did it take you to fix the problem? Uh, five minutes. How much did it cost? Uh, six dollars. That's not going to get him killed. I've got to think of something else. But I couldn't. I, I totally overestimated what he'd done to us. I, who really cares? But something happened. My rights were taken away. I had a sermon to work on. It, it was so spiritual. And I'm painting? This is ridiculous. Probably wasn't even that good a sermon anyway. And yet what I wanted done to him was throw the book at him. Prison for life. Set an example. Cut off his arm. I don't know. Something to stop the graffiti insanity. It's funny. It is funny. But this takes on epic proportions. I mean, if you look at Kenya right now, what's going on with Kenya? With the Luos and the Kikuyus. I mean, it's out of control. And it starts with something major. Somebody gets killed. Absolutely. Again, I'm not trying to minimize a bad thing that happened. But then it goes, well, if they killed one of us, we're going to kill five of them. If we're going to... You remember The Untouchable? I don't know if you saw the movie The Untouchables. It's rated R, so I suggest you do not see it. <laughs> I saw it before I was a Christian. Okay. But Sean Connery's talking to uh, Elliot Ness right there, and he says, if you want to get Capone, here's how you get Capone. If he pulls a knife, you pull a gun. If he sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue, right? You remember that? Yeah, stop. Stop. Remember that? That's my best Sean Connery. He says, that's how you get Capone, right? That... We have taken that hook, line, and sinker. If someone does something to us, we just come in hot. We strike fast and hard and put an end to it. But it never, ever does unless somebody's willing to humble themselves. Until somebody's willing to give up their rights, it goes on and on and on and on. And it might be from little kids. You steal my Lego, I pull the head off your Barbie. And it just goes on and on and on. Or it can be adults. You cut me off, I flip you off. Then you follow me, then I get, oh. You attack my village, I bring in the cavalry and just wipe out your entire race. It's out of control. It's crazy. So Jesus says, I want to read one quick section in James, and we might not have seen it this way before. It says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? What, what is it that causes this stuff? And you'll see two things. We overestimate what's been done to us, and we underestimate what we do to others. It says, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? One, you want something, but don't get it. I mean, that is a lot of what goes on. We want something, we don't get it. I, I deserve this. I should get what's coming to me. I have the right to pursue happiness. They got in my way. That boss got in my way. My spouse got in my way. This isn't what I signed up for. This can't be what God has for me. This isn't fair, right? We want something, but we don't get it. And then look at the second thing. You kill and covet. You say, man, John, they were killing people back then? No, remember? For the last three weeks, we've been talking about it. You, you, you look at a woman lustfully, you've just committed adultery. You have anger in your heart. You just murdered. Jesus is saying, let's get way down to the heart of the matter. And that's what James is saying. You want, you don't, you don't get it. 
And so it's a big deal to you. So you just go off. You kill and you covet. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. You're all, not you're all, we're all on this level. The kingdom of the world level. We want, we ask, oh, we want this, and God says, no, 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 no. Operate on this level. Those are the right motives. So let's get into the scripture. Kind of with that background of who we are as humans. It's a wonderful picture I've painted, isn't it? Of us. Ooh, I feel refreshed. Okay, here we go. I'm a terrible person. Keep going, Pastor John. <laughs> well, where does this come from, this eye for an eye? We've heard it before. It comes from three sections of Scripture, and I think in understanding where it comes from, we'll have a better understanding of how we can apply it to our lives because it actually does apply in some instances. But the eye, eye for an eye comes from three sections of Scripture in the Old Testament. Exodus 21, verses 22 through 26, Leviticus 24, and Deuteronomy 19:21. I think I have it on your handout there. They, all those verses should be on there. We're not going to spend too much time in them. I'm going to read Exodus 21 through 26 to just kind of give you an idea of what the other two are kind of like, because they're, they're all about the same. Exodus 21, 22. If men who are fighting hit a pregnant woman, <laughs> I love the Old Testament. It's so cool. Uh, and she gives birth prematurely, but there's no serious injury. The offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands, and the court allows. That's a very important section right there. And the court allows. I'll explain that in a second. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. Okay, it goes all the way down the line. From life to bruise. That's what you're supposed to pay. And then it goes on, if a man hits a manservant or a maidservant in the eye and destroys it, he must let him go. If he destroys his tooth, he must let it go. Those are all three sections of Scripture about the same. All three sections of Scripture assume there is a court involved, that there's judges and magistrates. It's, this is civil law. Okay, now it's important to understand that because, like I mentioned before, we can't rationally judge the one who's injured cannot rationally judge what the payback should be. You say something to me, John, I don't like your sermons, and then I evaluate that, maybe that goes to a very deep wound of not feeling special as a child, okay? And all you were saying was, hey, can you just make them shorter, you know? But I just went down to, you don't like me. Then I come out, wham! How do you like that? And it wasn't, it wasn't a fair trade. We, it's impossible for us to make a fair trade. But in the Old Testament, in the civil law, it's assuming that there's people, impartial people in the courts who can try and figure that out. Okay? So there is, and, and this, this helped for two reasons. First, it stopped personal vengeance. You don't have to try and figure out what, what should go tit for tat. You should go, you should go, you go figure it out through the courts. And you say, well, John, I thought I wasn't supposed to sue somebody. Well, you're not. We'll get to that, okay? I, I'm not saying, you know, you get a fender bender in the parking lot, so you go after my wife for hitting your car. No, I'm kidding. She's a great driver. Um, so you, you go, the courts decide a lot of this stuff. It stops personal vengeance because the human heart can't dictate that very well. I'll give you an example. Murder. Nobody's ever murdered somebody because they were murdered by that person. <laughs> find, find me a person who's murdered somebody because they were murdered. See, murder is the, is the ultimate example of this. You did something else. You didn't murder them. You did something else, and they got mad and killed you. Right? We're not to, have a, to bear a grudge. Leviticus 19 says, You shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. You may surely reprove him. Okay, it doesn't mean we just back out of conflict altogether. But you shall not incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear a grudge against the sons of your people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. In Romans chapter 12, it says this. This is really great insight on this. Let's see if you can have it. It's, uh, Romans. Yeah, there we go. Next one right here. Bam. Do not repay evil, uh, anyone evil for evil. 
but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. Again, there's an idea that's, that, that there should be a corporate uh, a consensus of what judgment should be, not just me go after you. We get other people involved. Be careful uh, to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, I, I hate this verse. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Oh, yes. Oh, no, I, I forget. I like this verse. Uh, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, look at this bottom part. Do not overcome evil, but over, uh, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil for good with the top, top part there. It says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Understand this. So here's what it's saying. When someone does evil to you, to respond for payback is evil. Okay? You were wronged. To, for you to judge it, be judge, jury, and executioner, and go, you know what? That wasn't fair. <clears throat> That's evil. You've just brought evil for evil. This kingdom up here was not advanced at all. This kingdom was advanced. Okay? It might have seemed right, and it might have seemed like, no, but really, it, was, it turned out great. Trust me. They're, I'm never speaking to them again. It worked out fine. Uh, but it says here, do not overcome, uh, be overcome by evil. Once you respond, you've been overcome by evil. Once you take vengeance, once you say, oh, okay, you said that about, my boss said that about me, I'm going to say that about him, you've just been overcome by evil. But overcome evil with good. By not doing that, by giving up that right, we advance this kingdom. Secondly, so it stops personal vengeance. Secondly, it stops underpunishing and overpunishing. When we allow it to be a corporate thing, it doesn't say tooth for an eye or eye for a tooth. There is some limit to, there is some restitution to be paid. That's why the church itself has, has discipline. You know, if you've been wronged, you go to that person, you try to make it right, then you bring another person, then you bring them before the church. There's that type of thing. Same in the courts. There's supposed to be more people involved than just one, one person and, and another person. It limits vengeance. See, the law is there to make restitution and to punish. I mean, without law, without there being, okay, if you stab somebody, you're going to prison for an X amount of time. We need those laws. Those laws are important. We don't say, oh, no, it's okay. Jesus said, uh, I'm not supposed to do eye for an eye. You go stab 20 people and then it's cool. We show grace. It's fine. No, God's law demands that there be a societal restitution and punishment in order to stop it from happening again and in order to just get that person out of society for a while. It's not to rehabilitate. Now you say, man, that, John, that sounds totally unloving. No, we pray for rehabilitation, but that's not the point. The point is there's a punishment that fits a crime. And, and what eye for an eye does, which is supposed to say to those judges sitting on there, listen, just because it was your nephew that had this happened to, you can't just go... 30 years, you know, it has to be. What did they do? The punishment has to fit the crime. So it is important. Uh, you know, you, sometimes you think, well, wouldn't it be great if we really made the laws? Really, you steal a piece of pizza, you go to prison for life. That would really send a message. It's not biblical. It's not biblical. The punishment needs to fit the crime. So he says, you've heard it said eye for an eye. So there is a sense that eye for an eye is important to understand that when restitution's made, it fits what, what, what had happened. But then it goes on and says, do not resist the evil person. Well, what's that saying? Do not resist the evil person. Well, this is one of those sections of Scripture where you kind of have to look at what the Greek is for resist. If a person comes in here and brings a gun and says, I'm going to kill the preacher, okay? Jump on them, please, okay? <laughs> resist that evil person, please. And you'll know where to find me because I will be back in the corner uh, cowering, okay? 
It's not just like, oh, whatever you want to do, fine. You know, we leave our windows and doors unlocked all night because I'm not to resist the evil person. That's not what it's saying. If you look at the different places where that word for resist is used, it's, it's calculated, systematic opposition. It's to win, essentially. So Paul did this to Peter. Uh, in Galatians chapter 2, it says, when Cephas came to Antioch, that's Peter, I opposed him to his face. Essentially, I resisted him to his face because he stood condemned. What he was doing was confronting him and saying, Peter, you've got to stop being two-faced like this. It's not good for the gospel. Paul was calculated. He, he, he was systematic. He knew exactly what he wanted. And he opposed Peter. He resisted Peter to his face. It wasn't that Peter punched him and you know, he just sat there, oh, whatever anyone wants to do, fine. He, re, he, he resisted. Acts 13.8. There was this magician named uh, Elimus. And uh, it says he was opposing them, seeking to turn the pro-council away from the faith. This magi- magician, mu- musician, this musician, this magician was opposing them. He was calculated. He wanted to get people to, to not believe what Paul was saying. That's resisting. That's opposing. And then James 4.7, probably our best use of this, this verb here, Uh, to resist submit therefore to god resist the devil and he will flee from you be systematic calculating and how you attack the enemy your job is to win at all costs that's opposing that's resisting and we're to resist the devil we're to call him a liar we're to to say no i'm not this it's going to stop here how are we going to how are we going to get him on his own ground it says that uh, 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 for Christ's church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Gates just sit there. And it's the idea that the church of Jesus Christ is going after those gates. And they won't be able to prevail. They, they're just going to swing open. It's not the gates attack. The gates sit there. And we go after them. That's resisting. So that's the idea that Jesus is saying. With the evil person, don't spend all sorts of time trying to win. So it was at this part in the sermon when our recording device quit out on us. So what I wanted to do was just kind of give you the last uh, few points of this sermon um, so that you can understand kind of uh, how we wrapped it up. But uh, essentially, after Jesus talks about <clears throat> not resisting the evil person, he goes into four categories of caution, uh, four different ways that we need to be uh, uh, cognizant of the fact that we're going to want to seek revenge in these categories. And so Jesus gives us a new standard like he always does, where you have heard it said one thing, but I want you to act a different way. And he gives us four categories. The first is our dignity. When we are disrespected, that is certainly an area that um, we want to retaliate in. It says, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now the right cheek, uh, there's many scholars who talk about how this was you know, to be slapped on your right cheek means it has to be from the back of their left hand and all these different things. The fact of the matter is, throughout history, to be slapped is uh, a great sign of disrespect. And so Jesus is saying, if somebody disrespects you, that's fine. Don't retaliate. And disrespect has become a huge buzzword in uh, American society. And the idea that you would just let somebody disrespect you and go on your way is ludicrous uh, to, to American culture. But this is exactly what Jesus is saying. I was reading an article in a San Francisco newspaper uh, that was written uh, in la- just this last December. And it's talking about the crime in uh, Oakland, California. There are two areas of Oakland, California that have an unbelievably high murder rate. And it says this, All it takes is a look, a put-down, or a lost fight, and bullets fly. Disrespect has become the number one reason to kill. It says, Killings have been concentrated in these neighborhoods for so long that revenge killings continue for decades There's a six-degree separation phenomenon that happens after each death. The killers and their victims can typically trace a relationship through family, friends, schools, or prisons. That's why Oakland murders are very rarely random. More often, they are the result of historical battles between crews who hold mafia-like influence on blocks and drug corners. Sergeant Tim Nolan says, Many people who live 
there rarely leave Oakland, let alone their own block, so the disputes take on epic proportions. This idea that when you're disrespected, that is the ultimate um, uh, thing that can happen to you, and you need to take revenge quickly. Revenge seems to feel that you get your respect back. It's like gang warfare. If somebody calls you something, you retaliate real quickly. This is a big part of who I was growing up. If I felt like somebody disrespected me, um, I'd make fun of them. But in Proverbs 15.1, it says this, A soft answer turns away wrath. In Luke 6.28, Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. It's uh, really amazing to me that Jesus would talk about when you're disrespected, turn the other cheek. Let them disrespect you some more. Why? Because your value doesn't have to uh, depend on how much people respect you or disrespect you. Your value is based on a relationship with God and what he thinks about you. Jesus modeled this later on in uh, John chapter 18. He had been taken to his trial and uh, Jesus was talking to one of the high priests and he said, basically the high priest was asking him, you know, uh, how do you say, who do you say you are and all these things? How is your ministry? And Jesus says, look, I, I, when I was in the synagogue, I was preaching openly. I've never hit any of this. Ask some people and see what they say. Well, in John chapter 18, verse 22, it says one of the nearby officials struck him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? So now Jesus has been disrespected. He's been struck in the face for no reason. And here's his response. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why do you strike me? Jesus is asking them a question. Why are you doing this? Why are you disrespecting me? And this is a perfectly acceptable response to someone who shows you disrespect. You say, I'm sorry, did I do something to offend you? What, what did I do wrong? I won't do that. Begin to get this person engaged into uh, why they're acting the way they're acting. And maybe it won't change anything. Maybe it didn't. It didn't for Jesus. But Jesus basically asked this question. If I said something wrong, testify to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why do you strike me? Why disrespect me? It's something we can learn from him. In 1 Peter 3.8, it says this. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Now listen to what it says. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but a blessing. Because to this you were called. And there's a sense that Peter's saying, look, you're going to be disrespected, but you are called to a higher standard. You're called not to retaliate. When it comes to your personal relationships, you're called to something higher. Even when you're disrespected, even though that's difficult, you need to rise above it. That was the first uh, um, point of caution Jesus was talking about was your dignity. The second was security. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, leave him your cloak as well. Now, what's this talking about? Well, in that, that time, uh, everybody had um, a tunic, which was an undershirt. And they had a, uh, a cloak, which was their outer robe. They'd sleep in that. It was, a, it was their security blanket, essentially. It kept them warm. It kept them protected. And uh, Jesus is saying, hey, if somebody sues you and takes your shirt, don't let that be the end of it. Don't just let them get what they deserve from the courts. Go to them and say, hey, as far as this personal relationship with you is concerned, I want to make things right. I want to give you more so that you know, I'm not here to harm you. I'm here to love you. He makes a really big jump here. I mean, if, if someone takes your security from you, it's a big deal. I know it is for me. If you're in the business world and, and another person takes your commission or uh, you're at school and somebody, um, uh, a teacher messes with one of your grades or whatever, this is your security. This is, for, for a businessman, this is food on his table, taking care of his his kids or whatever. And it's a big deal. Someone takes your commission, that's a big deal. Jesus is saying, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I'm going to take care of you. In Matthew chapter 6, is a famous section of scripture where Jesus is talking about not 
worrying. And he says something really interesting. He says, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. So Jesus asks a really bizarre question. He says, is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Now, if you ask me, <laughs> no, life really isn't more important than that. I mean, those are pretty important things. Food and clothing, my security, being able to live, a roof over my head, food. I mean, those things are really important. And Jesus says, is not life more important than those things? Well, no, not really. But then he goes on and he says, stop. Uh, he says, do not worry. What shall we eat or what shall we drink? This is in verse 31 of Matthew chapter 6. What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. See, we, we can give up our cloak, or if we get sued, we can give more. Or if something happens where our security is taken away, we can give more. Why? Because we're not of this world. We're not of this kingdom. We seek God's kingdom. We seek to make peace. We seek uh, justice. We seek to see God moving. And then he takes care of all these other things. It's very difficult to do that. It's difficult to keep that mindset. But that's why he says, seek first his kingdom. Earnestly look for these things. Go after the things of God. You won't worry about those other things. He'll take care of it. If someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, your undershirt, let them have your jacket as well. It basically puts all the pressure on God to su supply your needs, and it takes the pressure off of you. So we're going to be tempted to retaliate if someone threatens our dignity. We're going to be threatened. Uh, we're going to be tempted to retaliate if someone takes our security. But look what Paul says in First Corinthians chapter nine. The church in Corinth was basically saying to Paul that he had to get a job, that he couldn't make his money off of preaching. Um, and so Paul, in his defense, says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 3. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. And he does the same thing Jesus does. He begins to ask a lot of questions. He says, do I not have a right to food and drink? Do I not have the right to take on a believing spouse? Is it just Barnabas and I who must work for a living? What soldier serves at his own expense? What, uh, who plants a vineyard and doesn't eat of the grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk? Paul's saying, look, I have an absolute right to these things when I preach the gospel. I've planted this church. I'm building this church. I have a right to these things. You're messing with my security. But then watch what he says in verse uh, 12 of chapter 9. But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder, hinder the gospel of Christ. Paul's saying, listen, we do have this right. We should be able to, to make money from this, to supply for our families and to eat. But we're not doing it. We're giving it up because we're going to rely on God. And we don't want anything to mess up the gospel. If my dignity is threatened, if my security is threatened, I act in a way that glorifies God so that the gospel does not get threatened. The third thing is not only dignity and security, but liberty, our liberty. In America, we love our liberty, and well, we should. It's awesome. We're allowed to worship with uh, uh, the way we want to worship. We're allowed to uh, freely proclaim the gospel. We're allowed to go where we want and do what we want. We love it. We worship this right of liberty. Here's what Jesus says in verse 41. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. We call it going the extra mile. It would be similar in that day. What would happen is um, Rome was set up with a bunch of different roads and they had mile markers. And those all these roads... They went into Rome. That's why we say all roads lead to Rome. And they had mile markers that counted down how many more miles you had to go before you got to Rome. And they had a rule that you could, if you were a soldier or worked for the government, you could force somebody to carry your stuff for one mile and no more. 
And so uh, they would do this. It, it would be like if you were driving in rush hour traffic, uh, trying to get home from a long day at work, and somebody tapped on your glass, it was a police officer or somebody with the government, and said, hey, I need to get in your car and you need to drive me a mile in the other direction, uh, or not, let's say, in, in that case, not driving a mile, but drive for 20 minutes in the other direction, however long it would take you to walk a mile, and uh, and then you're done. Then you can turn around. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't dig traffic, and if I had to go the opposite direction and then get back into traffic again, I'd be upset. That is my right to liberty. I can drive what car I want. I can go where I want. I can do what I want. Nobody should mess with my right to liberty. Jesus says, don't sweat it. Don't sweat it. So you need to drive someone to the airport? Go ahead. Don't worry about that. I mean, that is, that is radical stuff. Going this extra mile, this second mile. And the thing that amazes me is, as Christians, at least in my own life, I feel like a lot of times I live in just that first mile. I do only what God requires of me. I tithe, I read my Bible, I do all these things. And I think God just desires for us to live in this extra mile, to be extra mile Christians. People who say, look, anyone can do the first mile. That's easy. That's what's required. I want to be someone who lives in that extra mile because I think God meets us in miraculous ways in that extra mile. I think the kingdom of God resides in that extra mile. That if we want to sense more of God and more of his kingdom, more of his peace, more of his joy, more of seeing God work, it happens in that extra mile. It does not happen, uh, or it happens just just a smaller extent in the first mile. I think a lot of souls are saved in that extra mile. Yeah, I can imagine uh, back in that day, a soldier asks a believer to take his stuff. And instead of being disgruntled and walking the whole mile, just counting off the steps, going, man, I'll tell you what, someday we're going to get somebody elected that's going to allow me to live any way I want. I can't wait for it. But I'll bet there were believing Christians who, during that mile, took that opportunity to share the gospel and was asking that soldier questions like, you know, how's your family? Where are you stationed? How, do you enjoy what you do? What, what got you into being a soldier? Do they make you do that? Or just asking him questions, getting to know who he is, talking to him. And when it came time for that second mile, the soldier says, okay, we'll find somebody else. And the Christian says, no, you know what? I'd like to go an extra mile with you and talk with you. And the guy says, why? Oh, because this is what Jesus would want me to do. And when you come back into my town, I'll show you a great place to get a camel burger or something like that. You know, just getting to know him, just operating in the extra mile mentality of going, God's going to do something in this soldier's life in the second mile. I just know it. Praying the whole way, Lord God, I'm going to go this one mile with this guy in that second mile. Please do something. Help us to connect some way. Help me to share your love for this guy. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It's a little few verses it's verse 19, a few verses after he says, we did not use this right. He says, though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. It's pretty awesome stuff. Giving up our right to liberty for the sake of the gospel. And this is one of the ways Jesus is saying, be careful. You're going to want to take revenge. When someone forces you to do something that you don't want to do, you're going to want to whine and complain about it. You're going to want to write your congressman. You're going to want to do all these things so that you, your, your liberty is never taken away again. And Jesus is saying, use it. Use the extra mile as a time to bring the kingdom uh, on earth. So the third one's liberty. Uh, you know, I'm going to read one other thing in Isaiah for this idea of liberty. Isaiah chapter 50 Verse 6, it says, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. And here's what it says. Listen to this in, in Isaiah 50, verse 7. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. 
Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. It's the sovereign Lord who helps me, Jesus says. This is a prophecy about Jesus. I mean, if we want more of God in our life, if we want to feel more of his presence, if we want us to help, want uh, him to help us, we have to be willing to have some of our liberties taken away at different times for the sake of the gospel, not just because harder is better and we just give up all our liberties. It's not that at all. The fourth is property. Jesus says, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. One of the ways we want to seek vengeance or retaliate is when someone takes something, doesn't repay us, we lend them some money and they don't give it back or uh, they borrow our lawnmower and uh, they break it and they bring it back and they say they didn't break it, but you know they did. All that kind of stuff. Jesus is saying, hey, lend it, give it away. You say, well, man, if I give away everything I have, I mean, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? It's going to, they're going to take everything from me. Well, always throughout scripture, the Lord wants us to use common sense. I mean, there's never a section in scripture where it says, you know, just go leave your doors unlocked and, you know, uh, walk around Skid Row, uh, you know, waving a Jesus banner, whatever. I mean, we want to use common sense to protect us and our families. But, but God may be calling us to something radical. God may be calling us to lend money to someone we know is not going to pay us back. And he says, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Your heavenly father knows. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32 the writer of Hebrews is reminding them. He says, remember those early days after you had received the light when you stood your ground in the great contest, uh, in, in a great contest in the face of suffering. Again, when Jesus says, turn the other cheek, he's not just saying roll over and uh, you know, let's let people beat you up. You can stand your ground for the gospel. And this is what these people did. This is what the, um, uh, the, the, the audience to this, to this book of Hebrews did. Remember in those early days after you'd received the light when you stood your ground in the great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult. There's, there's that dignity again. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. Again, your liberty was taken away. You chose to stand next to someone who was being persecuted rather than just go on with your life. You sympathized with those in prison and you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. Wow. These people joyfully accepted their property being taken away because they knew it would advance the kingdom of God. That is huge. And it goes on and it says, because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. You yourselves had better and lasting possessions. That's incredible. They understood. They had the kingdom mindset that the things that happen in the kingdom of God are more valuable than the things that happen on earth. We can give up those things on earth when it advances the cause of the gospel. Awesome stuff, awesome stuff. Now Jesus did tell somebody in Matthew 19, he said to this rich guy, if you wanna be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, Jesus isn't asking everyone to give everything they have, but Jesus is asking everybody to give everything Jesus asks them to give. <laughs> and sometimes we get caught up on this idea that our stuff is ours. And God may be asking us not to give it all away, but to give some other things away that we might not have thought of yet. And we need to hear from the Holy Spirit on this issue that maybe there's some things we need to get rid of in our lives, to give away or lend or whatever. Things that are we hold very, very dear to us. Um, I want to end with this. This is the idea of dying to self. And it's written by an author, uh, an unknown author. So if anybody hears this thing and they know who the author is, I've done some research and I, everyone I know who quotes this doesn't know who the author is. So if you find out, please let me know. But it's kind of like a little, not really a poem, but just a observation on dying to self. And it says this. When you're forgotten or neglected or purposely set at naught and you sting and hurt with the insult of the oversight, but your heart is happy, being counted worthy to suffer for Christ, 
that is dying to self. When your good is evil spoken of, when your wishes are crossed, your advice disregarded, your opinions ridiculed, and you refuse to let anger rise in your heart or even defend yourself, but you take it in patient, loving silence, that is dying to self. When you lovingly and patiently bear any disorder, any irregularity, or any annoyance, when you stand in face to face with waste, folly, extravagance, spiritual insensibility, and you endure it as Jesus endured it, that is dying to self. When you are content with any circumstance, any food, any offering, any clothing, any climate, any society, any solicitude, any uh, interruption by the will of God, that is dying to self. When you never care to refer to of yourself in a conversation, or record your own good works, or itch after any commendation from others, when you can truly love to be unknown, that is dying to self. When you can see your brother prosper and have his needs met and can honestly rejoice with him in spirit and feel no envy nor question God while your own needs are far greater and your circumstances more desperate, that is dying to self. When you can receive correction and reproof from one of less stature than yourself and can humbly submit inwardly as well as outwardly, finding no rebellion or resentment rising up in your heart, that is dying to self. Ask yourself a question. Are you dead yet? We are in love.